over there would be really good.
Jesus. Praise God. Set our people free and fill them with hope again. You know, while you're in this state of entitlement, it's hard to look at God as being a really a loving, intimate God. And it's hard to see ourselves who we really are. I love what Eve was just singing. <laughs> we were made to sit with him in heavenly places not because he needs more servants he's got a hundred a hundred million angels at least that are way faster than you are they obey i mean they're they're like bolts of lightning from his throne and yeah we are servants in our hearts because that's the nature of god in us but he didn't create you to be a slave to him Matter of fact, in John 15, he says, I no longer call you slaves. I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. That's what he's looking for. But if I'm in this place of, of disappointment and entitlement, self-pity, it's hard to be friends with God. Because I'm going to tell you why. Donna's going to tell you why. Right here, Donna Burner purse. Come on up here, Donna. Donna's, I love her. She comes in right as I'm leaving the prayer room. She's always in what? Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, what, 10 to 12 or something? Yeah. Yeah. She's one of our, one of our eagle people. She's seeing it. great things. Go ahead, Donna, share what you shared. I no, just no, shared. I'll let you hold that. Okay. I won't preach. <laughs> I just shared that this week God really taught me something about that disappointment. And through a sweet devotional that when you're in that place of disappointment, and it comes because you're putting yourself as the main character of your story. So at this moment, this seems overwhelming. God, you, you can't be doing what I thought you were going to do. And that can be in a lot of places. Um, and if we realize we're part of his story and his glory, then our part of his story being rough right now doesn't mean that his glory is not coming. So I'm not the main character. You're not the main character. <laughs> if you thought you were, you're not. Sorry. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Isn't that a good word? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I hope we're getting free, freer and freer. Praise God. I'm going to have, uh, Louis, do you want to stand up there or down here? Down here? He, he'll take the lowest music stands without all the music on it. Joey and group, great, great job. Give them a hand. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Emma.
Well, hallelujah. I'm going to introduce uh, Lewis Hogan and his wife, Rachel. And Lewis has been in the ministry for, what, 25 years or something? Since you hardly looked that old, well, Lewis, since you were how old? Just, just uh, in my 20s, early 20s. Yeah. Ago. Wow. From his 20s, he's been in the ministry. He's, he were, you were a youth pastor, right, mm-hmm. weren't you? And then a yeah. senior pastor. He planted a church here in Arlington that was growing very successfully, and the Lord just came upon him at one of the services. I'm going to share that story. Oh, you're going to? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, but Lewis, I met Lewis about 12... 2005. 2005. He even remembers I, it. I He's like... He has it written. <laughs> you can tell that story too. No? I am. <laughs> Hallelujah! But Lewis was a uh, then a pastor at uh, Shady Grove Church, which became Gateway Church. But he, the Lord told him to leave there. He's going to tell all that, and he's got like he's got a bunch of things he's going to share with us about what they're going to be doing in Washington D.C. April 9th, and I'm getting my tickets for that event. When are we getting our tickets, Mark? Did we already have them, or? We got our tickets. Mark Stunstner and I are flying out there to, to go. You guys are, are they all invited to come if oh, they yeah. wanted to? Everybody's invited. April 9th, it's going to be 12 or 14 hours. Well, it's 9, to 4, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 9 a.m.? Yeah, at the actual okay. time. Yeah, at the Lincoln no, Memorial. At the Lincoln Memorial. So it's going to be an all-day event. He'll tell you about all that, but it's going to be a sacred assembly for national leaders all over the nation. So... Let's uh, just welcome Lewis and uh, Rachel. You want to start out with that? Do that video? What's that? You want to do that video first? Oh, yeah, okay. He made a, they, his ministry made a video. Do the guys have it back there? I think so. Yeah, oh, good, good. Let's show that video. Praise God as an introduction. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lewis Hogan, founder of United Cry DC 16. Yeah. of United Cry DC 16. United Cry is a pastor-led call reclaiming America's future. America is in crisis, but the good news is that America is not without hope today. good right there thank you so much hey Lewis let us pray over you as sure as you start okay praise God I was just going to mention eight times in the book of Revelation Jesus says this to every one of the churches and then in the middle of the tribulation with the antichrist ruling on the earth he says it again he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit's saying to the churches so we're going to pray for Lewis, but we're also going to pray for you. Father, I ask, uh, God, that you would just fill Lewis with the power of your spirit. 
Let it be you speaking through him, God, with your anointing, God. And I pray that that you would give him like the sword of the spirit right now, God. You'd give him the sharp, double-edged sword of your word to cut through, Lord, bone and marrow, to to Mm. decision even inside us, God. Even the deepest places in us would be pierced, God, by what's going on around us. And God, I pray for our community here. Give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear. Open our ears so we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tom. Amen. So good to be with you guys today. And um, as Tom said, we've known Tom and Louise for about 11 years now. And uh, just privileged to run with them. Uh, Shady Grove and House Anhop there at Shady Grove. And uh, I have my wife with me today, Rachel, and trust me, anyone that knows us very well knows she is the, she is the backbone of this operation. <laughs> she is the brains of this operation, and on and on it goes. And I could not be doing this without my wife and uh, all of her support and help that she is to me personally. And uh, we have uh, three boys, uh, Joshua, Jacob, and Jonathan. Josh is our oldest one. He's over in Cyprus right now on staff at uh, Gateways Beyond International, along with uh, Gary's youngest son, Preston, is over there with him, and they're good buds, and they're over in Cyprus right now. And then my middle son, Jacob, is a senior at Baylor this year. Uh, he has a tremendous heart for D.C. and interned in D.C. this past uh, summer, and eventually it's in his heart to plant a church in D.C. So uh, that's our middle son, and then our youngest son, Jonathan, is 13, and uh he keeps us hopping, and he's a student over at Grace Prep Academy, and uh, where Rachel also teaches. You need to pray for Rachel. She is, uh, she has, I have my hands full. She really has her hands full with teaching over at the school and trying to do United Cry and our son, and so it's, uh, it's an adventure right now, and, uh, and then I want to just mention Gary real quickly. I'm just so thankful to Gary, and uh, his friendship. He's been running with, with Rachel and I, he and his wife, with United Cross since we started this. And uh, uh, putting all this together for the D.C. gathering uh, on April the 9th. And we couldn't do this without Gary and Jerry. And uh, so thankful for them and running with us in, in this uh, period right now. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to Psalms chapter 2. And I'm going to tell a lot, some personal stories today of how we got here that I th- believe will... Uh, speak to you personally and what the Lord wants to do even through your life and the destiny and the plans that God has over you personally in the days ahead. And um, I believe that we have to know in this period what is happening. We have to be able to discern the period we're in in our nation right now as we move forward. And I believe that Psalms 2 really gives us a picture of where we are at in our nation at this moment of what's happening where David really gave a prophetic word here that we are living in right now. And I'm just going to read a portion of Psalms 2, and then uh, we'll go from there. Psalms 2 says, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I'm going to end right there for just a few minutes. So Daniel, excuse me, David in Psalms 2 talks about a prophetic period that we live in right now. Talks about the kings of the earth. And it's really a prophetic word talking about how the kings of the earth in the period that even that we live in today would rise up in anger against the authority and rulership of Jesus and seek to even remove the leadership and the influence of the word of God from society. And as you know, in our, in our nation right now, we can see that happening on so many different levels in our nation of, of, of those in authority and uh, wanting to break free of the bonds of the Word of God, the bonds of Jesus' leadership over our nation, 
And we see in so many different levels, as I said, of what's taking place in our culture right now. And it's those type of things that begin to speak to me personally uh, about our nation and really great concern about where our nation is today. And really where we're at today, for me personally, has been a lifelong uh, journey that the Lord has taken us to this place. And I believe, I'm gonna, as I share a few of these stories, that you will uh, be encouraged today of what the Lord is doing and how it would impact your own life personally. When I was 11 years old, uh, I grew up in a home, my home church I grew up in was, act, was actually in Grand Prairie, Evangel Temple in Grand Prairie, my home church. And I was 11 years old. One Sunday night, we were having service, and I was sitting next to my mom uh, in, the, in the middle of the service. We had an evangelist there. His name was Dick Mills. And uh, Dick Mills was preaching. In the middle of his sermon, he stopped, and he said, Son, he said, I want you to stand up. So I stood up, pointed at me, and I stood up, and he said, I want to tell you that Joel chapter 2 is your life message. Joel 2 is your life message, and that was it. So I, he said, you can have a seat. <laughs> so I sat down, and uh, my mom marked that in the Bible, uh, the date on that, and uh, many years ago now. And uh, so for, throughout my teenage years and really into my 20s, I would read Joel 2 and think, what in the world does this mean? And uh, this makes no sense. You know, sound the alarm on my holy, holy mountain and uh, gather together with hearts of repentance. And I would read all that and think, what in the world does that mean? That's a life message for me. But the Lord, even at the age of 11, began to put some things together that are leading to where we're at today. So we fast forward uh, to uh, getting married with Rachel. And uh, we're pastoring our church that, uh, here in Arlington, actually, All Nations Church here in Arlington in 2004. And uh, there was something stirring in my heart at that time. There, from a, since an early child, in my early childhood, I had a real heart and desire to see true revival take place. And I would read about things in the New Testament, about healings and miracles and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And I wasn't seeing it as a child growing up in the, ch in the, in the church that I was in. I wasn't seeing it happen at all. And there was something that God was stirring up in my heart, in my heart at that time for true revival to take place. And even as a young child, this sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I used to love to think about the White House. And I would collect books on the White House and uh, picture books. And I would look at those things. And I used, to have, I used to daydream about being inaugurated as president. I mean, it's just crazy stuff when I said just being inaugurated as president, you know. And do you solemnly, I could see myself raising my right hand and my hand on the Bible. And do you solemnly swear? And I, going through those scenarios in my mind. And... Um, collecting books on the White House, but the Lord was stirring something in my heart even as a child uh, in that time, and we fast forward to when we are pastoring our church in 2004, and um, we had planted All Nations in 99. We had, uh, God was blessing, it was growing, we had started a lot of ministries, and when we started our church, we thought, God, we do not need another church in Arlington, Texas, but we knew we had the word of the Lord on that, and to do that, but we, what was in our heart was to see true revival take place. Okay, God, if we're going to plant this church, we want to see true revival take place, a revival that would touch the city, touch the region, touch the community. And that's what was in our heart. And as we got the church begin to develop and to grow, uh, in some ways we got off track with that a little bit, trying to keep all the plates spinning, as they say, in our church so something doesn't drop off and break, uh, we were wore out, and we were in a time of really just like, God, what are you doing? We're, there's a lot of good things happening here, but our heart is the revival. What do we have to do to see revival? And the Lord spoke to us and said, there is a cost to that. Are you willing to pay that cost? And in my naivety, a little bit maybe, I said yes to that, because you don't understand, sometimes when you say yes to the Lord, you don't fully understand everything that, is, uh, that he has in mind, and that's okay. We just have to say yes to the Lord, and he begins to put the pieces together. And it's after that point, literally right after that, that point of saying yes to the Lord, to see true revival take place. One Sunday morning in 2004, I'm sitting on my platform. I had gotten to church early before anyone else, and I was sitting on the platform looking out, just all the empty seats, praying for that morning. And it was like the next thing I knew, I was out in the middle of a prairie field. And all I could see around me was grass. And this prairie field was full of babies everywhere. And all these babies in this field had their heads thrown back and they were welling. 
And uh, I couldn't figure out what I was looking at. And I remember saying, what? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. The Lord spoke to me and said, I am showing you every aborted baby in America since 1973. There's 40 million babies in the field. And they all had their heads thrown back and they're welling. He said, they are welling for justice. The blood is crying up from the ground. And that was the end of that vision from the Lord. But it was a piece of the puzzle what the Lord was doing because, you know, at that point in my life, uh, if someone was to ask me, is abortion, do you support abortion? Do you believe in, do you, are you in favor of abortion? I would definitely say no, never. I believe in life. But abortion wasn't really a big thing on the plate of my life at that time. But when I had that vision from the Lord, abortion and standing for life became a really big piece of the puzzle in my life, on, my, on the plate of my life. So that set off a whole series of things that began to happen. Six months after that took place, that vision of the babies in the field, one Sunday morning, uh, six months later, we're in service again. And I, I've always questioned, God, why did you always do this in the middle of everybody, you know, on Sunday morning and in front of everybody? But we're in service again on Sunday morning. And I stopped worship to read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And I read that scripture turned around and had them start worship back again. And as soon as they started back with worship, I was standing right toward the front facing the platform. It was like a physical, someone came up behind me and pushed me face down into the carpet right in front of our altar area of our, there in front of the pulpit in our sanctuary. And I was there for the next two and a half hours on the floor. And I knew what was happening. Uh, I knew what was going on in the service but it was like I was literally glued to that forex. Someone was sitting on me and would, let, would not let me up. And uh, for two and a half hours, uh, we had a, another gentleman in our church that uh, had pastored in Jamaica. Actually, we had 25 Jamaican families within our church. And he had pastored a church in Jamaica, so I would always let him kind of fill in if we were gone on a Sunday. So he just got up and kept the service going that morning, kept worship going. And uh, after two and a half hours, and there was a lot happening that two and a half hours. But when I stood up, all, after that length of time, it's just like the pressure left me, and I was able to stand up. And when I did, the Lord spoke four things to me, just in uh, one after another. He said, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, Joel chapter 2, forerunner, and house of prayer. Those were the four things, just bam, 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 bam. So there was that Joel 2 thing again from when I was 11. The Lord was bringing back up again, Joel 2, forerunner, and house of prayer. And I told Rachel about it driving home that day, about this thing about the house of prayer. I had never even heard of a house of prayer. And uh, she said, well, you know, she said, my mom uh, has been going up this, uh, is there's this place up in Kansas City where my mom has gone up a few times, and, uh, which was my mother-in-law. Some of you may know her. Nancy Gibson's my mother-in-law. has Tins church here at Grace. And uh, she, uh, 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 she goes up there, and it's, it's IHOP in Kansas City. So long story short of that, we get home, and I start Googling IHOP Kansas City, trying to find out about the house of prayer, and, and Rachel does the same. And we went to, following that, that experience with the Lord, we went up to, to Kansas City a couple different times, uh, just trying to experience what that's all about, a couple different conferences. And it's in the middle of that, over those next six months, the Lord began to speak to Rachel and I to resign our church that we were pastoring and be about a house of prayer. So after that, literally one year after that initial vision of the, of the babies in the field, six months later, this other encounter with the Lord about the house of prayer, we resigned our church. And the only house of prayer we know about in the area at that time was uh, Shady Grove. So uh, I just started going to plant myself at Shady Grove uh, during the house of prayer during the week. I didn't know what else to do. And uh, just seeking the Lord on our next steps and Throughout all of that, the Lord was so gracious to us to open up a door for us to stay at Shady Grove and to be on staff there and be at the house of prayer. But the Lord began putting together these pieces in my life from an early childhood of dreams and visions and daydreaming in Washington, D.C. in the White House and uh, Joel chapter 2. And then in my, in, in my 20s, or by that time was in my, my 30s, we had this other encounter with the Lord of the house of prayer, and on and on it goes. As the Lord uh, began putting all these things uh, together within, our, in, within my life, and uh, the house of prayer became an integral part of 
our lives at that point when we went to Shady Grove. An integral part of our lives. As I began to understand and realize that everything that we felt like the Lord is wanting to do at that point in the future had to come out of this place of prayer. Out of the house of prayer. Flow out of this place of prayer, the house of prayer. And uh, so we just plugged ourselves into Shady Grove. We uh, went to the house of prayer every day. I sat through uh, watches with, with Tom, and we'd read there for a while. We read Revelation every day. We'd read through the whole book of Revelation publicly, just pronounce it and declare it in the house of prayer. And the Lord, and it was just so, uh, such a, a rich time for me personally. And in the midst of what was happening in the house of prayer, uh, things began to present themselves uh, to us. Uh, one of those was, came into a relationship with a man named Lou Engel, who has, uh, does the calls, and you, some of you may know about Lou, and came into a relationship with Lou, and uh, we, uh, he had started a ministry called Bound for Life. There's taking a real stand for uh, the ending of abortion in our nation, prayer for life, and we began to work with Bound for Life, and the Lord opened up that door, and then a couple of years after that, uh, we, uh, there was another organization that kind of it opened its doors that we were a part of called the Family Research Council of really working with pastors at a local level to really stand for truth and um, those type of things. And so we just got involved. This doors open. We just went to the doors that opened, went through those doors. And it all somewhat culminated in 2012 where uh, we... Uh, Long story short of it, 2012, we were on staff at Shady Grove still, and through a supernatural means that the Lord did, we were kind of launched out full-time into starting what became known as Awakening USA, which is three years ago, 2012, in the summer of, the, of that year. And as we launched that out, the Lord said, I want you to resign from Shady Grove as far as being on staff, and I want you to launch this out full-time. And the Lord moved supernaturally to make this happen, and as we did that, we had three mandates from the Lord. And those three mandates were uh, for Awaken USA were to protect life, to promote the voice of pastors in the nation, and to pray for revival and awakening. Those became our three mandates. And we started on this new journey in 2012. Fast forward to 2000, end of 2013, uh, the Lord began to speak to us, and Gary was very instrumental in this. And uh, helping us in, in this period as the Lord began to speak to us about putting together a national pastors and prayer gathering in Washington, D.C. Now, in 2008, I had felt the same stirring in my heart and reached out to some people that had national ministries out of a real deep concern for our nation, saying, I feel like we're supposed to go to the mall and pray for our nation. And for whatever reasons, those doors didn't open, and it didn't come to, to pass and to be. But fast forward to 2012, and the Lord uh, launched Awakening USA uh, 2013. This stirring in my heart again for the concern for our nation is just so strong as we launched this out, and we begin to put together this national, what's called the uh, United Cry DC-16, as the Lord began to put this together. And... Uh, we prayed about the date. This was 24 months ago, 26 months ago now, when we began to pray about the date. And there's a story to how we came up with the date. It was really a supernatural thing because we thought we want to do 40 days of prayer and fasting leading up to this prayer gathering in D.C. So why don't we, we feel like 2016 is the year, the Lord's speaking 2016. March 1st, we'll start our 40 days of prayer and fasting. So we counted out 40 days from March the 1st, and it landed on Saturday, April the 9th. And uh, so we'll set that date for United Cry DC 16, April the 9th, 2016. Uh, we didn't realize at the time that actually April the 9th represented three key dates from history that uh, just blew us away when we found out what these dates were because it's so lined up with even our three original mandates from the Lord for Awakening USA. And April, we found out on April the 9th, 1865, was the ending of the Civil War at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. Then on April the 9th, and I won't go into the story how we found all this out. It was in one meeting, in one conference, actually with Lou out in, out in Pasadena, 
And in one meeting, these three dates were thrown out, and Rachel and I just sat there and were just like, oh my goodness, God, what in the world have you put together here, and what are you putting together here? Uh, ending of the Civil War on April the 9th, 1865. Then another date was mentioned that day of April the 9th, 1906, was the birthing of the Azusa Street Revival out in Los Angeles. And then later on in that same meeting, another date was thrown out of April the 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed as a pastor in Germany. So those three anniversary dates begin to line up succinctly with what we felt like the Lord was saying about United Cry DC 16, and that uh, we were to come together in this place of prayer in a Joel 2 gathering. There's this Joel 2 thing, and this Joel 2 gathering, praying for repentance for national sins, to pray for revival and awakening in our nation, and then to engage the voice of pastors once again in our nation. Pastors had a tremendous voice in our culture in speaking into government in our nation uh, for the first 200 years or the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, as many of you know, the voice of pastors in the church has almost been snuffed out in our nation. And in that midst of that, as Gary was mentioning last night, what have we seen take place over the last 50 or 60 years with prayer taken out of our public schools? Uh, of course, abortion legalized in 1973. Um, recently, uh, of course, the sanctity of marriage, uh, what happened with uh, marriage between one man and one woman was uh, same-sex marriage was legalized, and on and on it goes. And all this has really taken place over the last 50 or 60 years where the voice of pastors in the church has been silent. But I believe that the Lord is doing something this day and this hour to really ramp up the voice of pastors in the church in our nation once again. And I think we can be so encouraged by that today because I stand before you today that, uh, you know, it says in the Word that when a nation is in crisis, and we could all say without any shadow of doubt that we're in a crisis in our nation right now, but we are not without hope today. We are not without hope. And Joel 2 tells us that when a nation is in crisis, there is a response from his people, from the church, of doing something, tangibly doing something that would usher in the presence of God. And that thing is Joel 2. It talks about that when a nation is in crisis, 2.16, it talks about gather together the elders and the nursing babes and the children into this place of prayer and begin to cry out with hearts of repentance for God's mercy upon the nation, for God's mercy upon the land. So when we come together in Washington, D.C. in two months now, which is unbelievable to us that it's that close, and uh, that we're going to be crying out for mercy upon our nation. And this is what is so, a uh, thing that just kind of blows my mind a little bit on the timing of the Lord. 26 months ago, the Lord spoke to us to do this. And people were saying, we don't have two years to wait. We may not even have a nation in two years. And uh, I was like, I know. <laughs> I know, I understand. I'm worried about that too or whatever. But I know that the Lord gave us this date of April the 9th. 2016, April the 9th, 2016, and we didn't realize and know, of course, at that time, the strategic timing of the Lord in this, and one of these things that is coming before, the, that is happening right now, is Texas, there's been a prophetic word over the last several years, as Texas goes, so goes the nation, and we have been, uh, we've seen some things taking place in Texas, one of those being, if you remember three years ago, at the Capitol building in Austin, uh, there was a pro-life bill that was passed called HB2, and uh, through much uh, warfare and prayer, and there was literally, we went to the Capitol three years ago, and some of you may have been there during that, that, that fight for passage of this bill. It was warfare. I mean, it was intense. You could not walk around the Capitol building and not feel the intense spiritual battle that was taking place that day while we were there, those several days that we were there. Long story short of that is, we, is HB2 was passed and uh, restricting abortion in our, in our state. That HB2 bill, most of it has been implemented except for a small piece of it, and it has greatly reduced the abortion clinics in our state from where we were around 40 or so, 45 or so, down to we're down to like, nine or so right now, of abortion clinics in our, in our state. Amen. 
But it's been challenged, legal challenges all along the way. It is now at the Supreme Court. And in March, they'll hear oral arguments on HB2. The Supreme Court is taking up the Texas bill. And we're looking at this, the, the timing of the Lord in this and saying, God, only you would know that we are going to be gathering together in the nation's capital at the Lincoln Memorial, which is just right down the, that right down the block, a couple of blocks from the Supreme Court, where they are hearing arguments on HB2, uh, the Texas bill. And while we're praying there with pastors and Christian leaders that day, they'll be deliberating for the next several months leading up to June on their decision on HB2. So we believe that the timing of the Lord is perfect as it always is when we gather pastors and Christian leaders together that he knew, he, could, he knew the future, he knew about this HB2 bill, be sitting before the Supreme Court. And one of the things that we feel so strongly about at DC 16, when we have pastors and Christian leaders together, one of the big things we're going to be repenting for that day is the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. We have to repent for that, and I believe that has to be led by the pastors and Christian leaders of our nation. And I believe that through that, that the Lord is going to move, my prayer is God, move on the heart of the Supreme Court and the justices, even as we pray that day. It only takes, really, it may just be one justice that decides the whole future of abortion in our nation. But he can move on the heart of one justice, even through our prayers, and move the heart, and we can see breakthrough happen in the area of life and in the ending of abortion in our nation. So only God knows the timing of that. So we have been just blown away by the timing of the Lord and what he has put together. And as we gather that day, uh, on April the 9th, we're going to be gathered at the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, only the Lord can even put that together. Because in faith, for the first two years, we were saying we're going to the National Mall. Well, if any of you know about the National Mall, you know that you cannot... Uh, you, you technically cannot reserve an area on the National Mall for a gathering like we are doing until one year out from the date of your event. So in April of this of 2015, we were at the Supreme Court, excuse me, at the Parks Department applying for a permit to have DC-16 on the National Mall. The, there's a gentleman that's helping handle all that forest logistics part on April the 9th, he called us, and we were driving back from a meeting in Eastland. He said, I've got some good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is that technically the National Mall is closed throughout 2016. And, uh, and I know why it's closed. If you go to the National Mall right now, you would see that it's under major reconstruction. There's mounds of dirt everywhere. He said, but the good news is because it is closed, they're going to let us go to the Lincoln Memorial to hold DC-16. And when he told me that, my heart just leapt because only God could put that together. That on the anniversary date of the ending of the Civil War, Appomattox Courthouse, Abraham Lincoln, we're going to be standing before the, the, the Lincoln Memorial that day, praying for our nation in prayer and lifting up our nation in prayer. And only God could put that together. And what's really interesting, we feel like what's even happening on the National Mall at the other end is a prophetic picture of what the Lord wants to do, because what is happening on the National Mall is they are removing uh, all of the dirt, all the soil from the National Mall, because uh, for years they have tried to get grass and shrubs and trees to grow on the National Mall. Everything dies that they plant. And what they have found out is that they did some testing on the soil, and what they have found out is that the ground and the soil have become so polluted and toxic that it will no longer sustain growth. So they decided we're going to have to pull out every bit of the toxic, polluted soil to the base of the, of the National Mall and bring in fresh soil. And we believe that that is a prophetic picture of what the Lord is going to do when we gather next April with pastors and Christian leaders, that he is wanting to reset the foundation of our nation, replace the polluted soil of our nation. The blood is crying up from the ground, and that... The God, our godly roots as a nation could begin to take root again and begin to sprout forth. So only God knows what's happening and how this is all the, the perfect timing of the Lord. And as we have moved along in this, this morning, as I was driving up here, Rachel and I were driving up here uh, to the meeting this morning, and uh, I had a call from a man named Will Ford. Now, Will Ford, some of you may be familiar with Will, 
he has what is called the black kettle, a big black kettle. And the story, well, I can't go into all that this morning, but the black kettle is from his ancestors. Uh, Will is African-American. Uh, from Providence, Louisiana, his ancestors were slaves in Providence, Louisiana. And they had this big black kettle that they cooked in, they washed their clothes in as slaves. Uh, but at night, late at night, they would sneak out to the barn, turn this black kettle over, and begin to pray into the black kettle for freedom for, future, for the future uh, generations of people to come. And they began to pray for freedom, and they would use the black kettle to muffle their voice so that the, the, uh, their owner would not hear them and come punish them or whatever. And they played, uh, prayed into this black kettle. So Will and Matt Lockett, who are also, Matt Lockett is now overbound for life in Washington, D.C. in the Justice House of Prayer. Matt and Will have been running together for about 10 years now, since 2004. In 2004, Matt Lockett had also had a dream about uh, abortion in our nation. So in 2004, God was speaking something about uh, abortion in our nation. And uh, I can't go into the whole story for the sake of time, but Will and Matt began together to take a real stand for uh, life in our nation. Bound for Life with Matt, of course, Will uh, with his ancestors, and God called him into the life movement. Uh, so they've been running together for 10 years. A year ago, they uh, were in uh, Virginia at Appomattox Courthouse on the anniversary date of the Civil War. And they were actually there with Lou. And uh, Lou, uh, they were, went to the museum there at Appomattox Courthouse. Lou picks up a picture book and opens up the picture book and when he opens it up, he opens it up to this farm called Lockett's Farm in Virginia and found out that the ending, the last shots of the Civil War were fired at Lockett's Farm in Virginia and uh, calls Matt Lockett over and says, Matt, says, did you look at this? This Civil War ended at uh, Lockett's Farm here in Virginia. Did you know about this? He said, no. He said, you think there's any correlation to your family? Matt says, I have no idea, not that I know of. He said, I'm going to call my brother, because his brother had been doing for several years the genealogy of their family. He calls his brother, and long story short of that is his brother said, you know what, actually, just here very recently, we began to uncover that in our genealogy that we had a family farm in Virginia, where the, and long story short of that is that family farm, they found out, does belong to Matt Lockett's ancestors, and his family. So they make a decision to go out and visit this family farm. And when they do, they go out there to visit this farm. Now, if you backtrack for just a second, Matt Lockett, when he first met Will Ford uh, in a meeting that they were in together, Matt was not even uh, in ministry at that time. He was doing a full-time uh, uh, marketing company, I believe it was. And he went to this meeting. He'd heard about Will. He'd heard about... Uh, and wanted to go see uh, what Lou Engel was all about if he had this dream. He's sitting on the back row and his prayer is, God, if you're saying something to me, I want to hear my name called during the meeting today. So he's sitting, Matt Lockett's sitting on the back row. Will Ford is sharing this story about the black kettle. Will Ford's great-grandfather's uh, last name was Lockett, okay? So he's telling this story, and he mentions that name Lockett, Harriet Lockett and uh, uh, so on. When he mentions that name, Will, uh, Matt Lockett, just about falls off in the floor in the back row because he's just heard his name called. So after the meeting is over, he had never met Lou, he had never met Will. He runs up there, and he said, starts telling his story, and they start talking about this name Lockett. And Will said, well, you know what? My Lockett ancestors only had one T at the end of it. Matt Lockett's name has two T's at the end of it. Uh, so there must just be a big coincidence and, you know, that type of thing. So they didn't think that much about it for the next 10 years. So when they go out and visit together, Lou, Matt, and Will, to the family farm where the Civil War's last shots were fired, there's a caretaker there who oversees it. It's now like a museum. This house is still standing, has the bullet holes still in the walls. And the, and the, the family, the Lockett family at that time, uh, were in the house, and they were told them, there is, there, the, this battle is about to take place here in the Civil War. You need to remove your family. He would not remove his family. They went down to the cellar in, underground and stayed there what, during this, what became known as the last battle of the Civil War. And uh, so the caretaker, when Matt walks in, just goes crazy because Matt has been sent by his brother a family tree 
uh, on a piece of paper. When they walk into the Lockett farmhouse, there's a family tree on the wall. He pulls out his paper. It matches identical to what is on the wall of the Lockett farmhouse, his ancestors. And, uh, of course, the caretaker just goes crazy. We never had a Lockett out here. And uh, Matt, starts say, uh, Matt says, well, you know, he said, my, my understanding is most all of our ancestors went to Kentucky, uh, wound up in Kentucky, and the caretaker said, he, and the caretaker is all about this family. He said, actually, most of them did wind up in Kentucky, but there was a small sliver of them that actually went down to Louisiana. And when they went down to Louisiana, they dropped the last T off their last name. The long story short of all of this is that they have found out they're about 98%, 99% sure right now from all their research that Matt Lockett's family owned Wilford's family uh, in Providence, Louisiana. And here it is, 150, 200 years later, God brings together these two men, brings together these two families, and, and the Lord begins to, to bring and restore this family lineage that has taken place and that is going to be when we do the, the, uh, the repentance piece of DC-16, that story is going to be the centerpiece of what's going to happen. And flowing out of that is this thing of restoration and God bringing together unity. And, and, and they have taken a stand as men for the last 10, 12 years for, the, for life. And, then, and out of that story, we begin to repent for the shedding of innocent blood. And God is putting things together right now that just blows our minds. We just cannot believe what God is doing and uh, in, the, in the midst of this. So that's going to be one of the central stories. So this morning, Will calls. We're driving up here. And he said, i got to tell you about uh, uh, a dream that I had just, uh, what, a few weeks ago. And uh, in this dream, he teaches at Christ for the Nations. And uh, in this dream, he saw the, the Spirit of God begin to fall on the school and he began to see uh, students, men and women, students there at the school begin to prophesy this thing of what it talks about in, in Joel 2, 28, in Acts 2, of uh, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit, dreams and visions, prophecies coming forth. And he said, I saw that begin to happen. It spread across the Dallas area. And he said, I feel like, he said, it, that this 2016, that there are, there's major prayer gatherings that are happening. There is. On the same day that we are doing DC-16, Lou uh, is doing a call, uh, the Azusa Now call on uh, the West Coast in L.A. And, uh, of course, we had no, there was no anything of trying to put this thing together. Lou, the Lord moved on the heart of Lou to put this together uh, last year. Two years ago, the Lord moved on our hearts to put together DC-16. So we had no clue about him or what he was, was in his heart to do, and likewise. And only God could put that together, that on this day of April the 9th coming up, there will be two major prayer gatherings on the East Coast and the West Coast. And we're talking to Lou right now about the possibility of, for a few minutes during those two, on that day of simulcasting together, uh, the two meetings where we will cover the nation in pr uh, for prayer, for revival, and awakening across the nation. And uh, only God can put that together, guys. And, you know, and when the Lord started speaking this to us to do this, well, let, let me backtrack. When Will Ford called this morning, he said, I see this thing of 216. He said, everywhere I'm going right now, I'm seeing this thing of 216, 216, 216, the year 2016. And uh, he said, I, from that dream, and his wife, and they were talking, he said, I feel like this is what the Lord is saying, is that we are in, this year, we're in that Joel 2.16 moment, which is, uh, of course, gathering together in this place of a solemn assembly to pray for mercy on the nation that moves into this Acts 2.16, where it says in Acts 2.16, uh, was it not prophesied by Joel that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, dream dreams, so on and so on. And um, that we're in that moment right now. And I said, Will, I said, that's so crazy. I said, kind of, if I had a title for the sermon this morning, it would have been we're in a, jo we're in a Psalms 2 moment calling for a Joel 2 response resulting in an Acts 2 outpouring. All right? So I believe that what's happening right now this year, that God is calling together his church, his leadership, into this place of seriousness, of solemnity, coming before him saying, God, we do not have the answer to the crisis in our nation. 
There's not a political answer to this. There is no answer but only you. You intervening in our nation, having mercy on our nation. And that's where we're at. And the result of that being see a great uh, an outpouring that would begin to take place in our nation. You know, it says in Joel 2.28, what it talks about in Acts 2, in the last day, it says afterwards. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. After what? It's after Joel 12, that place of the solemn assembly coming together in prayer. So God is doing something, and as we'll call this morning, I'm just like, God is not just speaking to us this message. We are a voice, but we're not the voice. He is lining up prayer gatherings throughout this year, Joel 2, Solemn Assemblies, uh, Lou, and there's some things happening later of 2016, not even uh, necessarily national gatherings, but even regional Joel 2, Solemn Assemblies, this place of prayer that would usher in uh, a real shift in our nation and an outpouring of, of the Spirit of the Lord upon our nation. And when the Lord started this two years ago, it was really from, for Rachel and I, it was out of this place of real uh, concern for the nation. Just like God. We can, you know, there's so much happening in our culture. Uh, we can see our nation really slipping through the cracks and uh, is there any hope to restore a nation? And the Lord kept bringing up this thing to us with Joel too. And we would say, and I would remember praying, say, God, there, who, somebody has to put something together. And I feel like it had to happen at the National Mall. Somebody has to do something. Somebody has to put something together to call everyone together to pray. And, and I remember the Lord just saying, like, why don't you do it? You know? And uh, I was like, and the, the there's so many thoughts that went through my mind, and Rachel and I have talked about this, like, who in the world are we to try to call together a Joel 2 Psalm Assembly on the National Mall in D.C.? And uh, we're, we're nobodies. Uh, we, on and on, we, could, we came up with a hundred different excuses why we couldn't do it. But the Lord kept saying, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? So we just stepped out in faith, and we began to try to put something together. And I met with, and, and Gary was with me from the very beginning. I'm so thankful for Gary. And I just started reaching out to some guys that I knew here in the Dallas area personally, past Olin Griffin, saying, would you pray? We need, God, we, need, we need God's wisdom in this. If you have any red flags, please let me know. Not necessarily hoping for a red flag so we could stop, but, uh, you know, if you have any red flags, let me know. And some other men, and they kept saying, as we'd gather with them, feel like God's in this. We need to keep moving forward, you know. And... Uh, uh, so we just kept moving forward, and God kept bringing all the pieces together. And uh, we're just, we're standing two months now from April the 9th of gathering Christian uh, leaders and pastors together in that place of prayer. And uh, I want to, I said all that to say this. One, we need lots of prayer, of course, for this date coming up. But for my life personally, and for Rachel and I, what the Lord has shown us over and over and over that it's the small steps of obedience to the Lord that really lead to the destiny and plan that God has over your life. You know, whether it's resigning a church to be about a house of prayer or um, just doing what presents itself before you, kind of walking through the door and see what God does. And uh, we're all in that place today in each of our lives this place of obedience, and for us, I feel like when we resigned our pastorate and we were about the house of prayer, that, that was so key because what we're doing now and uh, what the Lord put in our hearts to do had to flow out of a place of prayer. It has to flow out of a place of prayer. It has to. And uh, so we began to uh, just plant ourselves in that place of prayer and uh, see what the Lord would do and putting all this together, and there's times, and some of you in this place today, you're like, God has spoken plans and destiny and dreams over you, and all I can tell you to do today is that you have to be in that place of obedience to the Lord. You have to be in that place of prayer, of putting yourself in that place where that spirit of prayer is being released over your life, and you're in that place, you're hearing the voice of the Lord, and you're taking those small steps of obedience, no matter how small they seem, that ultimately leads to the kind of the big picture of what the Lord is wanting to do. As, as even Tom was saying today, it's those small little steps, those places of obedience before the Lord that you, pledge, you put yourself in 
And sometimes you don't fully understand what God is saying or what he's doing, but that's where you come in and say, God, I just trust you. I've heard your voice. I'm going to move out in this area. I'm going to walk through this door, and I trust you that you have it all under control and that you're leading and guiding my steps. And um, so here we are, guys. We're in this, and I believe this with all my heart, we're in this Joel 2 moment right now in our nation that we have to pray for God's mercy. If I would say anything, if I could say anything to the American church today, to pastors, is that we, these are not times as usual in our nation right now. We can't do things the same way we've always done them, but we have to begin to place ourselves before the Lord in that place of encounter of, and, and, and prayer to see what God is speaking, to see what God is saying. Because if we do things just business as usual, then uh, we will not be positioning our lives in that place of encounter with the Lord. But to say, God, I can't, I've, got to, I've got to understand we're in a crisis period right now. I have to have discernment what's happening in, in our nation, what, what's happening in my life personally, and I have to do something different. I have to bring myself to that place of seeking the Lord and hearing his voice in prayer. And if we're in that Joel 2 moment right now, and we do what God is telling us to do, to humble ourselves before him. And when we go to D.C., the thing the Lord has told us over and over and over is that we go not with an arrogant spirit to this nation. If you look at some of the stuff we put out on brochures, we say we're going to Washington, D.C. We're not going to rail against our government or to criticize our president or his policies. That is not the heart of D.C. 16. We are going to say, God, would you have mercy on our nation? We go in with humbleness. We go in with a broken spirit, with a broken heart to say, God, we understand and know that this is way beyond any man. It's beyond our president. It's beyond anything of man. Only you can intervene and have mercy and break into our nation right now. And I believe that United Cry is a movement. It's not just that one-day prayer gathering. And when pastors leave that day, we're trying to give them, we're working to give them resources to they go back to their local church, their community. They can begin to do at a local level what we're doing on the National Mall of calling together their, their church to this place of a Joel to assembly for the rest of this year, of releasing the spirit of prayer within their church, of being a voice, uniting together with other pastors in their, in their city, saying we must come together in this place of unity. The church has been so divided in America, so divided. I believe the message of the Lord today is we have to come together in unity across denominational lines, across racial lines, across generational lines, that we must band together to see God move in this place of prayer. And that is what the Lord's doing. So, United Cry, the effects of my prayer is, God, let it go way beyond April the 9th. And I would encourage you guys, and uh, I think most everybody here is from Grace Church, most everybody that's here today, I'm assuming. Man, I just want to just lift up Tom to you guys today and just say, hey, uh, the best place you can be right now, my own, my own estimation from the Lord, is to be in that place of prayer right now. And if you're not plugged into the house of prayer, whatever that looks like for you, I would get plugged into the house of prayer, this school of revival. Tom didn't ask me to say a word about this uh, this morning. But you have to put yourself in that place of prayer and line yourself up because that is the place of release. That is the place of hearing the voice of the Lord. And ultimately, that's the place of really, I believe, walking out the destiny over your life to hear the voice of the Lord and being obedient to everything he speaks to you today, tomorrow, next week, and then you walk that out. Because we're in that moment right now. In our church, what started this, when we had that vision of the babies, was this dissatisfaction with where we were at. There was a lot of good things happening in our church, and it was growing. But within Rachel and I, uh, we didn't want just the good. We wanted what, only what God had, and that outpouring of his spirit that touches a city and touches a life. And I believe, uh, I'm so thankful for Grace, uh, Grace Church here, Grace Community Church, and I believe that God is wanting to bring a true move of his spirit to this place, a true outpouring of his spirit. I'm so thankful to Pastor Gary. I know he's not here this morning to be willing to have a house of prayer here at Grace Church.